Hello and welcome to the British Sitcom History Podcast. This is part two of our look at 80s forgotten... Uh, I can't say classic. The forgotten sitcom from the 80s. Up oh, the Elephant and Round the Castle, starring Jim Davidson. If you would like to hear the beginning of our discussion, of course you would, go back and listen to part one. If you've already done that, then well done. We are ready to go back into our show. We are discussing the episode, Come to the Aid of the Party, series two, episode four. We've already gone quite deep into the whole of Jim Davidson's career, so now we are going to continue our looks through some of the other cast members, and we will be having a brief look at the so-called sequel, Home James, a very different beast entirely. Right, let's jump back into it. The actual plot point here is that uh, Sue Nichols wants to borrow his house or borrow his bedsit for a longerie party. Yes. She's basically an Anne Summers party before it was fashionable. Well, I want to ask about that because she says, oh, it's basically a Tupperware party, but for pants. So yeah. when, when did that start? When did like housewives make start making a living off of selling crap in their own house? <laughs> I think of that as a 70s thing. Like a Tupperware party is a very 70s reference. Yeah. And, you know, the format expanded to other things. Mm. It still happens. That's, people do that all the time. It doesn't feel like here they're worried about trying to explain that too much. It feels like this must have been yeah. a sort of standard cultural yeah, thing. I think, that I think a Tupperware about. party, maybe not the Ann Summers type party, that might have been a bit more unusual, but what do I know? Mm. Maybe that was a thing. Of course, it's not a party, it's a Russell, uh, Russell Harty party. Um, oh, very good. Sorry, I missed that one. <laughs> um, no, I don't think they were saying that in the 50s. <laughs> Uh, and, of course, Wanda, she needs to borrow Jim's house for the party because if she has it in her own house, it's more likely to get caught that she's earning money whilst also claiming benefits. They're all benefit cheats. It was all right in the 80s. Different time. <laughs> Greetings. Um, right. So, <laughs> right. Here's a question. And this sort of comes through in this scene, but also in general. Is Jim London a bit thick? Mm. He's very often and very easily manipulated and taken advantage of by the people around him but then he's also supposed to be a bit of a cheeky cockney wide boy but it's always in the context of like someone's like oh do you want to buy these dodgy watches off me and he's like oh i don't know he's like come on we'll make a fortune and then obviously it all goes wrong can i borrow your house to do some weird wacky scheme money-making scheme oh well maybe okay he's really a soft touch He's very much a soft touch. In the first episode, a mate of his who we haven't seen since school comes and lives with him because he's left his wife. There's another episode where someone who he hasn't spoken to for years because this guy owes Jim money and like didn't want to pay, so like just ran off, uh, comes back into his life saying, oh, I want you to be my best man for my wedding. And then basically that means you have to pay for everything. And he does. And he kind of just, and he's just like this, it's very pathetic kind of figure. I think it's a weak character to have at, your cent- at the heart of your show there's that episode later on where uh counselor troy off of star trek is <laughs> yeah. a a foreign barmaid and just comes and lives with him <laughs> yeah all Mar- very marina Sirtis pre-star trek yeah that's a weird episode shall we just have a quick sidebar into this episode on, then, let's because... quickly talk about the episode just give us the plot outline it's just you know random this one character she's working in the bar she's got a, a vaguely european accent she's from she's... vestonia yeah, which is, I guess is supposed to be Eastern European. 
Marina yeah. Sirtis, pretty, I don't pretty burn them all. I don't know, yeah, where she is from, like what her ethnicity is, but she Nobody'll care. It's only Star Trek. But that's it, she looks more Middle Eastern than East European. I don't know quite what what her background is. Yeah, she's like, Oh, I need to get married. We we I sleep in your bed and then it's that's I have dagger. <laughs> yeah, and so he's like he thinks he might be able to get his leg over if he like says, Oh yeah, I'll marry you or something, I'll give you somewhere else. A live. bit of nookie, come on, don't be dirty. <laughs> so what's so good about this freedom? You got no woman to wash the dishes, make the goulash, keep you warm in bed. You as well be holy monk in monkery. I go to work now. You think about it, okay? My freedom's important to me. She obviously she doesn't give it up easily enough. I can't even remember what happens at the end. She runs away. I, she, no, there's a, there's a, let's not get too deeply into this. But there's a whole other plot about the councillor who lives next door has had the plans for the town hall nicked, and that's also got plans for the local nuclear bunker. And it turns out <laughs> she's an East European spy or something. I Possibly <laughs> she was or not. We, we I don't know if it ever resolved. Utterly plot, ridiculous. Like remember. you said, a lot of these episodes are very much like non sequiturs. They just don't fit. Anyway, let's get, sorry, that was my fault. Let's get back to our episode. So, Anne Summer's party. So, yeah. let, me, let me just remind our, our listeners where we are. So the first scene is set up that he's going to have his house reassessed for rates. The second scene is established that we're going to have an Anne Summer's party in his house. Yeah. Let's move on. Anything could happen. But to be fair, I'd already forgotten at this point by, about the rates assessment. because Well, it's that's why like, I'm reminding people. It's just, it just gets thrown out. Oh, you should get your rates reassessed. No, it never actually goes to like speaks to someone and says, "Can you come round? Can you come round this afternoon at four o'clock, please, and assess my house?" Like it's not set up very well. But let's see where that goes. Now the next scene, we're still in the house, but instead of uh, Wanda Pickles, his neighbour, we've got Vera. Mm. Now Vera is very much coded as plain. I don't yes. think she's particularly unattractive, to be honest. But she is. You know, I, I get the impression we're supposed to think she's a plain girl. And again, yeah. she's throwing herself at Jim, and he's trying to fight her off. Can you give me a bit of backstory on Vera? Because I didn't, like, this was the first time I'd seen her. Well, no, I can't, because the first time I saw her was very much in the same vein. She pops up in an episode, and she's obsessed with Jim, wants to love him forever and marry him, and he's like, oh, God, you're a bit dumpy and plain, love. No thanks. And she seems to be cleaning his house for him. Well, she she's cleaning the house in preparation for the party. I see. So she's doing that for 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 Wanda, I guess. But, yeah, using that as an opportunity to get close to Jim. Now... Vera, uh, this is played by Sarah Corper, and she co- crops up in a handful of episodes in the first two series, and this is it. This is you mm. see, this is it's the same in everything, and it's never established like who she is, if she's a neighbor mm. or what. Who I don't know. I can't see again. I'm giving the that. benefit of the doubt here to the fact I've missed episodes, but no, 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 I don't know. And Sarah Corper, the actor there, she's got a smattering of credits, but it's all sitcom stuff. She was in Sink or Swim mm. with Peter Davison, if you okay. if you remember that. Uh, Man's Best Friends, which was a vehicle for uh, for um, Fulton Mackay, okay. yeah, <laughs> which we talked about last week. time. And she was in I Love It with Norman Lovett. So, uh... Right, okay. So I sort of knew her face, but I couldn't place it. But that, that's why, because all of those things I've seen <laughs> once 30 years ago. So exactly. That's why. But yeah, I can't explain the character to you, I'm afraid. It doesn't make any sense. And like I said, right. it's one of those characters that kind of drops in and out and then they ditch it when they don't. Well, it. I feel like we're doing our, um, our listeners a disservice, but sorry about that. We haven't a clue either. So so yeah, again, she's throwing herself at him. Nothing comes of it. And then the scene is kind of ended with Jim's dad coming in. Your mum's thrown me out. I'm not fulfilling my marital obligations. So let's talk about Jim's dad. Yes. John Barden, the, the actor John playing Barden. him. 
Definitely one of the more reliable elements of the show. Yeah. And they do settle, like I say, as they go on a bit, they do find these kind of regular characters they settle on. So Sue Nichols, Wonder, Wonder Pickles, John Barden there is the dad. Brian Capron, who is in kind of most of series two, I think, and some series one and series two, as his kind of cheeky cockney mate, but one okay. who's one who is actually much more overtly criminal and he's like selling hooky gear and stuff uh brian capron you know him he's most famous for uh coronation street as well he he was bashing the bishop in uh, coronation street he was um okay he was a serial killer for like a few years and it was like a huge story he was, i like, know who you mean yes I, unfortunately i didn't see him in the episodes i watched so i don't know who you mean but yeah i know the actor yes yeah he was like the main but so he's like jim's mate uh in in several episodes throughout series one and two and he's quite a nice addition because he's he draws Jim into these schemes that I think Jim is a little right, bit yeah. more innocent of. And so Jim is kind of just on the fringes of criminal activity rather than being a criminal. And then you've got Brian Hall as the barman. Brian Hall. He's the barman. So that's that's Terry the chef from Faulty Towers. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he plays the barman. So he's in quite a lot of episodes like throughout the series. And yeah. there's a couple of episodes where he gets a bit more involved in the plot. But mostly he's, you know, he's the barman. Yes. So, yeah, but John Barden, yeah, he, he is one of the more reliable elements. I think he's one of the better actors. And this is one of my theories here that they, they're trying to make up for Jim Davidson's lack of skill by surrounding him with worse actors, um, <laughs> which is perhaps a little harsh. Um, but... But nobody comes out of this very well from an acting point of view. Perhaps that is, perhaps that's a symptom of how it was made. Is was there a lack of time and rehearsal? Was there a lack of direction? The, the director of all of all these, the, the entire series, was um, a guy called Anthony Parker. Mm. There's no great things on his CV. Uh, some things on his CV, for example, The Whackers and yeah. um, Odd Man Out, which is famously mm-hmm. one of the most terrible shows ever made. So he was just a workaday director. So maybe. Well, we talked about those. We talked about those technical, you know, the, the look to camera and all those sorts of things that are a little bit off. Hmm. You've got to put that down to the director, haven't you? I mean, why don't you retake it? Yeah, I mean, you do think it would do something like that, but. But John Barden, I think, is has always been quite the fact that most of these actors have gone on to be best known for soap roles. Perhaps is, yeah, John Barden was in the standards, wasn't he? Only Doc Cotton's knockoff. Yeah, yeah. So he was. That's certainly what he's most famous for. You know, in his later life, but he has got a very specific sitcom lineage, actually, uh-huh. because he basically took over from when James Beck died. He took over the role of Private Walker, oh, not okay. in the show Dad's Army, obviously, but when they did live stage shows, he played it, and I believe I he did that. quite a lot of the radio versions um, when they did that. And he's the sort of person who like pops up in everything. You know, he's he's uh, he's got one episode of this, one episode of that. You know, all that kind of thing. Mm. Interestingly, John Barden here. 45 years old. Shut up. Yeah. Oh, my God. He's born in 1939. Oh, that is depressing. <laughs> so he's younger than you. Isn't he? He's the old man. He's compl- <laughs> he's, 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 there's jokes about him being bald. There's, <laughs> there's complaints about his, his bronchials and his Nuremberg trials. <laughs> now, Nuremberg trials, I really like that one. I am going to use that one. one. <laughs> I, I, I don't believe that people say that in the, in the East End. I'm going to say it. I mean, Nuremberg but trials are playing. I, I did like that one. But yeah, yeah. again, he's, he's coded old man. 45, my God. Yeah, I know. It's a different time. For the benefit of listeners, I'm 46. <laughs> it was a harder life, though, you know. Uh, and yes, and in this episode particularly... We've got quite a lot of uh, the dad character. He's in it, you know, throughout the series. And he fulfills several roles. Mostly, like, he comes around to do, do it, 
doing DIY in the house and making a mess of it. But yeah, we get much more of him in this episode and he's crucial to the plot. And um, if we can jump forward to the next scene where they're in the pub together. Mm -hmm. Uh, So basically they decide to go down the pub to have a chat about his mum and dad's marital relations, as you do. And it's this very weird scene where they're just chat. It's just the two of them talking. And this is quite rare in mm. the show where you've just got two characters riffing off each other, throwing a few gags around. Yeah. And it's actually, I quite like this bit. It works quite well. There's, it almost feels musical when they're just stood there talking to each other and kind of like, Oh, that reminds me of so-and-so oh, I knew he went out with yeah. this woman who had bubble called bubbles. Yeah. It was Except they were both kind of the straight man because it wasn't very funny. But that's was... well, I, yeah, that's my challenge to you. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I kind of get what you're saying, but I don't, I don't think I agree because it wasn't funny. So come on then, what's happened? Well, like I say, it's your mother. She's been reading that cosmopolitan down the hairdressers. Oh, she ain't started that posh cooking, has she? Remember last time she spent a month trying to stuff a tomato? <laughs> nice. Worse than that, she's been reading them sexy bits. Oh, no. Yeah. Reckon she's not fulfilled as a woman. Well, what's up with her? She's got everything she wants. She's got a family, hasn't she? Got a part-time job down a paint warehouse. Well, then what more does she want? She reckons she wants more of me. <laughs> and there's a third character in this scene, which is a very camp, over-the-top barman. Yeah. And that was that was really badly executed, you know. Yes. It, the, the timing was bad. It wasn't just that it was over-the-top and camp. It was just... Really badly timed, just badly performed. Well, I looked into this because I, I was, I thought the same thing. And first of all, this is kind of a weird scene. There's okay, so there's a regular bar set that they go to, mm. but the bar set in the first series looks different to this. It's a different setup. It's the bars on the other side of the room. Mm. Uh, you know, it. For, just looking at the pictures, I think it's all the same gear, but they've just set it up in a different space, right? Right. And then in series three, it swaps from one to the other depending on different episodes. Right. The only thing I can assume is it's based on what other sets they're using and how much oh, space they had and just Where what they had fit. to do. But they yeah. never mention it. They never kind of try and pretend it's a different pub or anything like that. They just kind yeah, of go with yeah. it. Brian Hall is the barman. He obviously wasn't available for filming this week for whatever reason. Because as they walk into the pub, they go, Yeah, where's Brian the barman? Oh, yeah, it's his, it's his day off. It's the relief barman, right? Like really overtly explaining the fact that he's not yeah. there. And so they've obviously like, oh god, Brian Hall's not available. Let, we'll have to just bring someone else in. Let's do something with it. Let's let's make something different. And so they've brought in uh, Brian Godfrey is the name of the actor, and they've gone like, do it, do it a bit gay or something. Like that <laughs> seems to be what the direction was. <laughs> so the idea is that he's this camp barman, like in a very classic seventies comedy camp. Yeah. But the timing is so, like it's he awful, delivered every line he delivers is a second later than it needs to be. Yes. Well, the bottom line was, he wrote to Auntie Angela in a motorbike news or something and told him about bedtime with bubbles. Right. Did he get a result? Yeah, yeah. She wrote back, said, yeah, you are an animal. <laughs> Sent him round a bottle of champagne and her address. <laughs> Put his name in the frame then. Yeah, he went round it, didn't he? What happened? Auntie Angela turned out to be a geezer. <laughs> oh, that's nice. <laughs> Did Brian Hall call in sick and they threw this together on the day? Maybe. That would explain his character, uh, but then maybe that's why that scene is weird anyway, where it's just the two of them talking to each other. Was Brian Hall supposed to be chipping in a few lines or something? It was just really bad, just really badly delivered and poor. poor. Well, I looked up this actor, Brian Godfrey. He's not like a lo- load of credits, but he was apparently one of Ray, Ray Cooney's gang. So he did load a stage farce. 
Okay. So you'd think he'd be on the ball in terms of timing and comedy timing and stuff. I don't mm. know what the, different, what, the, what the deal is there. But uh, interesting trivia, he's the nephew of Tommy Godfrey, who is, I know best, as that the janitor off Mind Your Language, like the grouchy old man. Oh, yes. He's yes. the caretaker or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so he's, he's connected there. Another thing I noticed in this scene, they order two pints. This doesn't get a laugh. Jim Davidson goes, two pints, please. Yeah. And then John Barton goes... Same for me. Doesn't that doesn't get a laugh? I didn't even know they've had that joke. two pints each, you know. Uh-huh. And then the barman says one pound sixty for yeah. four. So, pints so that's for four pints. I wrote down one pound sixty for two pints as an outrage. No, it's for four. That's for four. And then John Barden is outraged by the fact that it's cost so much. And again, this doesn't really get a good laugh. But he goes, "Oh, I remember it when it, I remember when it was a shilling a pint. You could have a good night out for thirty-five bob." <laughs> good joke I didn't. Doesn't, I missed that as well Yeah, it they, they, tells you how badly they delivered that was because I missed those jokes these things just don't la- they're not landing and there's a lot of lines like that that just don't quite land what gets the laugh is the barman going no oh, it's £1.60 please darling because he does a silly camp voice and then everyone laughs yeah. it's like yeah. that's that's what that's the level we're working at here the other thing so so basically the, the, in terms of the plot um, John Barden's complaining here about about it, Jim's mum She's been reading that Cosmopolitan down the hairdressers. Every time I go home, she's lying in wait for me, all perfumed up. She's cleaned her railings. Now, <laughs> what does cleaned her railings mean? If you if this was a radio program, you wouldn't have a clue. But John Barden helpfully sort of <laughs> runs his finger in front of his face in a sort of brushing teeth motion. So cleaned her railings. I I learn is brushing. Is her railings? Teeth. What's, is that? That, what's is that? that? Is that Cockney slang, rhyming slang, or is it just some sort of slang for your teeth? It's for teeth. But what Rail, railings round the heath? What? <laughs> What? <laughs> anyway, we're establishing that um, the relationship's not going well, and Dad Dad wants to stay with uh, with Jim until Mum comes to her senses. Intr- Sorry, here's another tangent. Does Dad have a name? Because other characters refer to him as Dad. <laughs> Later on, think... when we meet Mum, she calls him Dad. Yeah, I don't think they're ever referred to by their names. I think it's just and in the in the credits at the end, it's Mum and Dad. Yeah, Dad London. <laughs> yeah, weird weird but yeah the problem is that the, his wife is demanding sex from him and he hasn't got the energy for it he's 45 for god's sake i mean come on yeah he's past it and <laughs> um, there's a bit here that gets a weird reaction i don't i didn't get it i wonder if you could react to it so jim davidson jim london is relating an anecdote about a woman who was you know on her wedding night and he says and then she sticks her head out of the window and says i've married an animal and he does it he says that in a kind of high-pitched voice and all these Larry-looking blokes in the pub suddenly stand up and glare at him, and he yeah. goes, "Oh no, 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 not me! I'm just, I'm just telling us." Yeah. Oh, forget it. I didn't get any of that. No, I didn't get that. Was that him being camp, and they were going to beat him up because he was camp, despite the fact that they've all bought a pint that night? Exactly. So if that, if that's the joke, which is the only thing I could work out, are we even acknowledging that the barman is a classic camp comedy barman? Like, I, 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 I don't know. I had the same note. I, d- I don't know what that joke meant. I did not that well I didn't get it but I just yeah. didn't understand okay, it okay good it's not just me then I thought I might have missed something no. okay great that's the scene in the pub and it ends with them getting half cut and deciding to go back to the house because they know there's a load of women in longery uh, there waiting for them longery yeah <laughs> so we cut back to the house yeah let's uh, let's just uh, let, let's recap <laughs> so Jim's having his house reassessed for rates I've forgotten about we that we know that <laughs> Wanda's having a Anne Summers party in the house. We know that. Vera really likes Jim and is throwing herself at him. We know that. Right, yeah. 
Jim's dad and mum are having marital problems. These are the facts. <laughs> okay. On to the next scene. Go ahead. So we go to the next scene. We have a bevy of lovely ladies in Longerie. They are a bevy! It's a bevy of lovely ladies. There is yeah. exactly a bevy. It's not a brace, it's not a group, it's a bevy. It's four, four lovely ladies. Four so is the, a bevy. But but they have to they have to be in suspenders and stockings. That's oh, a bevy. The the eighties hair on these women <laughs> is an abomination to nature itself. Uh-huh. The the amount of hairspray that must be in that room. If anyone lit a cigarette, they'd yep. all be dead. Um, and they are unspeaking extras so they're just there to stand in some um longery they are benny hill lovelies and that's exactly all they are is their set decoration yeah and as this scene plays out i i quite enjoyed watching them act (laughs) watching them be background performers like pouting and pulling little faces and picking things up and putting them back down again (laughs) it's really really bad acting Yes, because they are stood behind our principal uh, actors here. So we got Wanda, who's selling all. Yeah, the so Sunicles is in a sort of patent leather mini dress. Yeah, and I think Sunicles very attractive. You, you are a monster. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We've got Vera, who's sort of hanging around, like literally on the floor cleaning, like Cinderella, <laughs> and everyone's everyone's treating her as if she's a mutant. <laughs> like, she's. Like, she's fine. She's just got short hair. That's it. She's lacking confidence. She's lacking confidence, but they're like, uh, she, she asks if she can try something on. And, you know, everyone just laughs in a dirty, stupid, plain face. <laughs> That's not fair. Wanda Pickles is very supportive in a sort of backhanded way. She mm. is saying like, you know, no, don't worry, love you. Put this on. I like a challenge. Uh, but yeah, but she is wearing a, a nice dress, but she's got a vest on underneath it. Like, like that's that's yeah. the sort of level we're working at there. Yeah. But we also have Jim's mum. Yes. Now, I didn't know this was Jim's mum at first until contact... Had we seen her before? We have seen her once before. Right, and, okay. And uh, never again. Only twice she crops up. Because I first few times she gets mentioned, I think she's going to be the unmentioned kind of the Harrod and wife kind of character. Yeah. And then they actually bring her in for one episode. Uh, and it is Rosalind Knight. It's the same actor. That was in series one. And then, yeah, she comes back in this one. And this is the only other time we see her. Uh, so, yes, she is trying to attract um, her husband and get some... Spice things some up. Some frills and thrills uh, in her life. By hoping that he likes to be a, pretend to be a paedophile. Yes. Uh, so, every as, as Wanda Pickles points out, every man is attracted to schoolgirls. And <laughs> that's... That's the way it goes. Very much different time. It was. That's just the, the nature of the business. Uh, interestingly, um, so Rosalind Knight. What do you know Rosalind Knight from? Because I know her from one very specific. I bit. don't. Know. I I know her face, but I couldn't tell you where I know her from. So go on, fill me in. Well, I know her best. She's a regular in Gimme Gimme Gimme. She is the ex prostitute turned landlord in that series. That rings and she a bell. She is in yes. pretty much every episode. She was all, her late her last credits as she was very old, just before she died. Were in Friday Night Dinner. So you might have seen her in that. No. She was in a handful of episodes as a same I character. Recall, I don't remember her in that, but I did watch Friday Night Dinner. But yeah, I mean, she's been around for years. She was in Carry On films in the fifties. You know, like she's she's going yeah. way back, uh, and she comes from a theatrical heritage. You know, her parents were in the in the biz. Uh, yeah, but she was she did also play a schoolgirl in one of the Centrinians films in the fifties. Oh, there we go. And so a reference to that. When Jim London says, "Oh, I've seen my mother dressed up like something from Centrinians," I assume that's a deliberate reference. <laughs> you would hope so. <laughs> yeah, unless it is. But that is a that is the obvious gag to make there anyway. So you know. Yeah, but this was where so Mum is talking about trying to attract Dad, and 
this is what's weird about it. She's talking about dad. So she's talking to Sue Nichols' character about her husband, and she's calling her husband dad. Yeah. But not even in she's a dressed sexy up in a school way. uniform, and she's basically saying, "I want Dad to have sex with me." <laughs> I, I, I'm going to suggest that's weird. That's the, the the two are completely unconnected. Oh, are they? Yeah, because <laughs> he's calling her mum. <laughs> anyway, so we we've got this kind of setup, and then Jim and Dad come home and discover all these lovely ladies and yeah. his mum in school uniform. There's a there's a nice little physical bit of physical humor as he walks behind all the lovely ladies and indecently assaults each one. <laughs> he just accidentally um, knocks them with the bottle of whiskey. You know they all love about. that. Well, they they I don't know if they do love it. Do you know what I I found quite interesting here? So when they walk in and there's these bevy of lovely ladies, we get a close up shot of their bottoms to kind of like that mm. from the from the point of view of the characters. are going, oh look at them lovely arses. What we might call male gaze. Well, that was the interesting thing because. That we're getting the male gaze there, but that's from the characters, right? The characters walk in and they're ogling the women. We don't get it from the camera, which in we're talking about the, the male gaze, you know, it's the the subjective male gaze, mm. not yeah. the characters are ogling these women. The production does not. I mean, for scantily clad women, they're pretty well clad, and <laughs> they're behind a couch. They, you know, it's like it's actually really not that smutty, which is it, it was uh-huh. not as smutty as you would expect it to be. I think. Like, compared to, say, a Benny Hill sketch, you know, where it is just, that's what it's all about. When mm. we watched, um, why have I got an image in my head of a close-up on a woman's bottom? It was from um, one of the the Alf Garnet films, the really bad one with the sex oh, comedy yeah. Alf Garnet film, yeah. where we're just following a bum down the street yeah. for about yeah. 500 years. I remember that. Yeah. Things like that, which is real, like, proper male gaze. And this, this actually felt like, it again, it was just pulling its punches on that stuff. Well, look, let's get back to our, let's get back to Jim's front room. And, uh, you know, so we've got this situation where all these lovely ladies are there, all dressed in their langery, mm. and Jim and Dad are there too. And now is when the doorbell rings, and it's the bowler-hatted bloke from the council who's come to assess the rates. I wanted to ask about this. The officious bloke from the council turns up. He's got a bowler hat and an umbrella. Mm. Was that still happening in the 80s? Or is this Spike Mullins' idea of London in the 50s that he's projecting into the 80s? I, I mean, I can't definitively say, but I'm going to say, no, it wasn't. It feels <laughs> it was like... not happening it, in the 90s. It, like, it feels like such a cliche, like the 80s. Like, I, think, I think the guy who comes to assess your council tax today, he's probably in, you know, he's in work clothes and he's got trainers on. In uh, mid-80s, yeah, he probably had a suit and tie on. Yeah. But not a bowler hat. <laughs> Nobody wore bowler hats. I've never seen a bowler hat outside of sitcoms. It's a home pride advert. <laughs> yeah. This, this guy. yeah. <laughs> just, just the people on the train with Reginald Perrin. They're the only people who wear exactly, bowler hats. Exactly, yeah. But even when I watched it in Reginald Perrin, I thought, is this outdated? Like, I, I, that was 10 years earlier. So, but, may, but maybe it's just we need to very quickly establish that this is a stuffed shirt character. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what he's going to be. So let's do the shorthand for that. Yeah, he turns up and says, oh, you know, I've come to assess your, your council rate, sir. I'd completely forgotten about that setup that 20 minutes Well, earlier. this is why I've reminded you six or seven times <laughs> in the last hour. <laughs> like, they could have at least been going like, look, okay, you can have the party, but you need to be out by this time. I've got an appointment. Uh, it's just, it's pathetic. He kind of half-heartedly tries to put him off, but he's drunk, so he, he's not very good at it. The guy walks in. Yeah, so he sees these scantily clad women, and his immediate assumption is that this is a brothel. Yeah, makes sense. No, it doesn't. <laughs> what else could it possibly be, Gareth? It could be people having sex. <laughs> it doesn't have to That's be money worse. involved. That's even worse. 
At least it, because it's not even, this is Thatcher's Britain. At least if they're making a living. <laughs> what I'm saying is there are other possibilities. He immediately leaps to the fact that there's a, it's a house of ill repute. They could have at least got an old fella in, like like a, an old an old duffer in, like instead of a, like this guy who looks like he's about 28. Did you? Uh, the line that I liked was Dad denying that it could possibly be a brothel. His line was, "Whoever heard of a knocking shop without an Uncle Ned? Uncle Ned bed." <laughs> and Uncle Ned is a bed, and that's because that's because Jim sleeps on a sofa bed, which is currently folded up. Yeah, and then basically, what's her name? Vera walks out. Vera, who remember playing Vera? Yeah. Now she's wearing a leopard print. Is it a cat suit? I want to say cat yeah. suit, but I don't really. I'll tell you what, it definitely is. It's definitely not the items of clothing that Wanda Pickles <laughs> gave to her and told her to go and get <laughs> it's changed not, right. into. Doesn't even remotely look like them. <laughs> <laughs> not even the same colour. She comes out, she took a bottle of gin with her as well, so now we know she's drunk. Yeah. And she basically throws herself wildly at Jim again. She's so excited that she unfolds the Uncle Ned. Yes. And uh, <laughs> therefore therefore confirming that this is indeed a brothel and therefore not eligible for rate relief. <laughs> In fact, possibly some sort of business rate. <laughs> but then, don't worry, we're going to wrap this up uh, immediately because... Immediately what happens is they make so much noise that the the bloke who lives upstairs, which is a whole other separate plot element that gets involved in many episodes, but I can't be bothered to get into it. He bangs on the roof, bangs on his floor, so the ceiling plaster starts to fall down. Now, this is a regular occurrence in the show. It does happen. There can't be much plaster left up there. Yeah. But what happens is this plaster bangs him on the head. He's immediately rendered unconscious, like Samantha Morton. And... (laughs) He fought, collapses onto the Uncle Ned, and uh, fortunately, we have a Polaroid camera, and so Jim just p- takes a quick picture of him, surrounded by lovely ladies. It's like the Bishop of Bath and Wells in Black <laughs> yeah, It's exactly. the same setup, <laughs> except except they do they manage to do this whole thing in ninety seconds, from when he arrives to when it's yeah. to, to, yeah. to when it's all. We have up. we have had the Polaroid flagged up before. Uh, Wonder Pickles says, "You hold it for sixty seconds and it develops." <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is nice. I'm all right with that, and that, and it sets yeah. up the, they've got a camera there. Fair enough. Yeah, the, but that such a hastily thrown together plot ending there that mm. yeah. Oh no, mm. the the rates man is coming down. Oh no, it's all right, sword. Can I uh, before we move off that scene when Vera comes in in a leopard print outfit? Yeah. She is doing the striptease tune, you know. Da, 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 yeah. da, 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 da. Yeah. Now, you don't hear that much these days, do you? <laughs> you used to hear that a lot on the telly. You would hear the striptease tune a lot, you know, for a sort of a bit of racy uh, anticipation. <laughs> you don't hear that much these days. I think um, Full Monty ruined it. They changed it to You Can Keep Your Hat On. Uh, so that's, ah, the, that's you the strip right music there. now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I would like, I would like our listeners to... Let us know any other examples of the striptease music being used in sitcoms, because I'm sure there are lots of examples. <laughs> uh, yeah, oh, 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 Councillor Moggs comes in, doesn't he? Just in case, because they're obviously worried that people don't know what the hell's going on, so he has to come in and go, Aha, you are running a boardy house, and the council rates man is going to discover you. Oh, wait, here's the council rates man. Da, da, da. <laughs> Pretty much what happens. <laughs> well, that's the episode, and it, it is as... As weak as we have led you to believe. <laughs> and I think in general, the show is pretty weak. The writing is fairly weak. Yeah, weak is a good word. It's not, it's not awful. And it's certainly not offensive. You mm. know, we're talking about Jim Davidson and his, this idea that he's an offensive comedian. It's not. 
you know, there's a bit of homophobia in there, but there's nothing in there that is worse than anything else that we would have seen, yeah, that we exactly. have seen from that time. My problem with this sitcom is that it is bad. It's yeah. badly written, it's badly directed, and it's badly performed. Yeah, yeah. I agree. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> well, look, that's our episode. I think we've probably covered up the elephant around the castle as an entity, but I want to talk a little bit about Home James, which you mentioned earlier. So that came mm. next. Um, Home James is, again, it has sort of several writers, but it seems like the bulk of it is written by Jeff McQueen. And Jeff McQueen had written some of the episodes on Up the Elephant. I know that name. Who's Jeff McQueen? Well, he's best known as the person who created the bill. Ah, well, that might be it. That might be the... So he's just, he's a writer, basically. And and he wrote more drama than comedy. And I think that's going to come to show in Home James. Right, yeah. Home James, in theory, is a sequel to Up the Elephant Around the Castle. It's the same character, Jim London. Mm Mm-hmm. But bear in mind that that character is just Jim Davidson kind of persona. Yeah. So it's the same actor. It is not related to it in any way. The The first episode shows Railway Terrace, so the house that Jim London lives in. It shows it being knocked down, uh, and he's looking a bit morose about it. His drum. Yeah, his drum, his drum and bass has been knocked down. It's been Mr. Sheen polished. <laughs> <laughs> and it's <laughs> pathetic. Yes, it's pathetic. <laughs> That's my point. And he's got a job that he's having a bit of trouble with because of uh, an officious boss. Uh-huh. The inciting incident is that the boss of the company, the actual big head honcho who's got a lot of money and is very rich, is a cheeky cockney wide boy who's made good, right? See myself in the boy. <laughs> yeah, and that's it. And he sees he sees Jim London and he says like, yeah, all right, he's a bit of a rough diamond, but I, I think he's got you know something about him. And so he hires him as his personal chauffeur. And yeah. so then it's Jim London has a job as a chauffeur in a sort of fancy house. And the, the, the guy's called George Sewell, isn't it? Yeah, George Sewell, who plays the the rich, the master. Yeah. So that's the setup. And that's the only, that character, that central character is the only connection to the elephant around the castle. Yeah. And if you just accept that that's Jim Davidson's range, then that that's that. The tone of comedy is totally different. The style of the show is totally different. I mean, they're not related in any way, in any real terms. But we're talking about it now. So let's see what we get with Home James. It was certainly the follow-on for Jim Davidson's career. I only watched the one episode. And it was like, I've made, I don't know, 10 or 12 notes on it. And every one of them is a version of, God, this is so much better. It It is. Well, that's interesting because you know, I, I sent uh, you... Okay. Better is a... I'll stick. I stand by the term better. I think it is much better. But let me tell you why. It's a sitcom. This is like a right. 1980s sitcom where there are characters set up. There is some antagonism between the characters. There's there's a mm. plot in each episode. It's a sitcom. It's not a great sitcom, but it's a decent sitcom. Again, I only watched one episode. But the point is that Up the Elephant Round the Castle felt like just a badly put together, badly written script, just cobbled together for Jim Davidson. This feels like a sitcom. Yeah, it's got a bit more structure to it, hasn't it? Yeah, those kind of ingredients are there. But they are still pretty weak. And I sent you an episode from the first series Mm. uh, just as an example of kind of pretty typical example of what it was. However, it does change as it goes along. But when it starts... What struck me was how much it felt like an 80s American sitcom. Interesting. For a start, that opening music is just so mm. 80s and yes. like American, very much American. Mm. 
and it feels like one of those shows that's built around uh, you know a, a comedian yes the, but in the in the way that these supporting characters are paper thin <laughs> uh, that literally have one one characteristic fresh flowers for the room terry oh yeah oh. <laughs> i remember now <laughs> You'll have to make allowances for Terry. He's a nice little person, really. But 19 Bob Short, right? Well, something like that. Yeah. I'm Paula, by the way, yeah. and this is Connie. <laughs> this is Connie. Hello, what a lovely name, girl. Yeah, it's Concepcion, actually. She'd rather stay here than go back home and marry a cousin. Will you marry me? Uh, my cousin is fat with a moustache. He's thick. She's obsessed with marrying someone. Someone's an alcoholic. Yeah. Someone can't speak English. You know, okay. fair enough. Manuel is a bit more to it than that. But if you look at, say, the American version of Faulty Towers, the Manuel character is he can't speak English, yeah. and that's it. And there's a lot of that in crap American sitcoms. These really worthless characters, and we have that here. It gets away with it because it has a couple of solid characters as well. So. George Sewell is the, is the master. And Harry Tower as the butler is kind of... That's where the, the story mm. is. And they obviously realise that in the show as well because they start to push out these weaker characters. And the start of series three mm. is George Sewell has lost all his money. He's gone bankrupt. He's had to get rid of all his staff. Right. Obviously, the butler stands by him, like to the manor born. He can't leave. He's got nowhere else <laughs> to go. And... Jim, the chauffeur, is sticking by him because yeah. they actually like each other. They sort of respect each other, yeah. And Series 3 becomes like the three of them working together, uh-huh. much closer to being equals, to kind of make money and get their fortune back and basically running cons on people, always on the side of good. You know, some dodgy businessman is trying to take advantage, yeah. so they turn it around on him and, and make some money out of it. And like by that point, it works really well. The th- those three strong characters... Strong actors, because even Jim Davidson as that character, which is a totally different character, he's streetwise, he's smart, he's charismatic. He, the reason him and the butler clash is because he's so charismatic that the, all the rest of the staff like him and the butler mm. doesn't like that. They, they kind of have a grudging respect for each other, you know, mm-hmm. and it actually works really nicely. Yeah. It's not very funny and it feels more like Minder, you know, kind of light That's drama. A good comparison, yes. Uh, of this kind of Cockney kind of shenanigans. But um, it works as a show a lot better than... And it's totally different to series one, where it is just kind of these very weak sitcom ingredients thrown in. So I found it very interesting to kind of watch that. And I think if it had started out as what it was, and Minder didn't already exist, it could have done quite well. (laughs) But it's interesting to see how much better Jim Davidson is in that, Uh, certainly the later episodes, where he's not such a soft, weak character. He's The whole point is that he's street smart, and sometimes he doesn't know when to shut, keep his mouth shut, and that's kind of yes. gets him into trouble. But then he'll talk his way out of it, or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I confess, employing my usual attitude to deadlines, I watched Home Gems about an hour before we started recording, mm. and I really enjoyed it. I, I, I've written down in my last note is confession. I enjoyed this. <laughs> I'm going to go <laughs> back and watch a couple more episodes just to just to give it a bit another try. So if you can, uh, if you can recommend a couple from series three, I'll give those a go. Well, like I said, the first series is I think it's pretty weak, but you're, you're right. That well, maybe it's... that's because I'd just finished watching Up the Elephant Around the Castle. Yeah, probably. <laughs> okay, well, let's go back to... Let's finish up and go back to Up the Elephant Around the Castle. 
Yeah, it feels really thrown together. Like you say, there's, there's, perhaps the fact that you know Spike Mullins was not a, a 30-minute writer is part of that. But to be fair, he didn't write most of the episodes. He's a script editor. But you know, if you're bringing in just these working writers, then perhaps there's no love for it. There's no care for the characters. You're just earning a paycheck. And it, but the whole thing feels sloppy. I think that's basically what you were getting to. Yeah, the direction is mm. is off. The the acting is feels under rehearsed. I think John Barden comes out of it better than anyone else, frankly. But you know, he's an old pro, so yeah. it felt like going to see a play, a, a sort of a, a poorly rehearsed play. And then you have these, like I say, it's too completely inconsistent. So another episode I know that I sent to you was one where he suddenly like adopts these two like local ragamuffin kids who yeah, are burgling his kids, house. These and... kids try to break into his house and, and steal something, and he catches them, and they become friends. Yeah, and he becomes kind of like a mentor, like hey, you know, don't be like that, and be good, and, and all this. And it's mm. like, and then like a rich man loses a wallet, and then he sends them to summer camp or something. You know, it's like um, it's it's pathetic. It's like Charles Dickens yeah. level writing and then not to say Charles Dickens is crap writing but like that level of storytelling that is just you know incidentally the one one part of that episode that they they get into his house whilst he's out for a jog which is a very uh very topical reference in 1985 yeah. jogging yeah so Jim comes out in his he's basically got a normal jumper on but shorts and so yeah. he's oh his legs are, I mean his legs are terrible I, I don't like out. to body shame people but honestly <laughs> put them away lad <laughs> yeah, and they just get into his house through the window because yeah. you know you could leave your doors open back then. Yeah, apparently not. <laughs> yeah, but like things like that. It's just this odd episode. It's just like it's totally inconsistent. Really weird. There's there's no there's no direction behind any of it, is there? But there we go. Well, okay. So I, I think up the elephant and around the castle, we're giving a resounding uh, thumbs down to. But I would certainly suggest people just go and have a look, maybe at one episode, just to just to give it a try. The episode that we covered is series two, episode four. Come to the aid of the party, which is a yeah. phrase everyone knows. So yeah, give it a go. But it sounds like Alan doesn't agree with me, but I would suggest go and watch Home James if you're desperate to see some Jim Davidson <laughs> acting. Yeah, watch a couple of episodes of that as well. Uh, that's less easy to get hold of, but um, that's not been put out on proper DVD, Home oh. James, so... But search the internet, I'm sure you'll find it. What are we doing next? Ooh, I tell you what. It's chapter one of something that's going to be big, okay? Mm-hmm. But um, <laughs> we're going to do the first series of Blackadder. The Blackadder. The Blackadder, yes. yes. So we decided rather than try and tackle all four series of Blackadder in one go, we'll, we'll break it up over goodness knows how many years how long it takes us to get through all four but yeah so we're going to do the the oft criticized uh we're going to do a, a, a re-evaluation of the first series of blackadder mm, which i'm really looking forward to because as much as i've seen the rest of it i think i've seen that once in a long time ago mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm ready to reevaluate. yeah we'll that. give it a try we'll give it a fair crack of the whip yeah well, thank you very much for listening. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch uh, or kind of have your own comments about uh, about up the elephant and round the castle, don't don't sell it short. <laughs> I can't be bothered to say it every time. Uh, go on, Gareth. What are our social media links? Well, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at BritComPod, or if you go onto Facebook and just search British Sitcom History Podcast, you'll find our page there, and we post lots of things on there for you to enjoy. Well, thank you very much for listening. Come back next time. And uh, goodbye. Bye.